Chapter Three of Miss Frances Baird, Detective. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Brotherly hate. When I say that the Maples, as James Deneen had called his big place on the Hudson, was nothing less than the famous old Van Klein estate, a detailed description surely becomes superfluous. The often pictured lawns declining gently to the river's edge on the one hand, and the pasture and woodlands running back for several miles on the other, are already familiar. Young Deneen had, I learned, added somewhat to the already extensive stables, but the best feature about the place, the big old three-story house that rambled all over the middle eminence and commanded a view of the whole estate, was exactly as it had long since become known through its association with its original owners. Approached by a long, winding gravel driveway, beneath an arch of trees that gave the place its name, this fine old house was the picture of quiet and gentlemanlike comfort. It was surrounded on all sides by a wide roofed piazza upon which all of the rooms on the ground floor opened through long french windows and when i got inside i finally found it furnished with a taste that i had not looked for from its present occupants you see mr denneen explained as we drove up the fine approach behind a splendid pair of bays handled by a coachman in irreproachably sober livery this'll be a rather quiet wedding i suppose as those things go nowadays the bladesdales live on the place next here what there is left of them, which is only Evelyn and her mother. And they, not being very well to do, I've just kind of taken this affair out of their hands, and I'm going to have what jollification there is right at my own place. The wedding itself will be over at the Black Springs Episcopal Church on Tuesday, and only a few people will be there. But in the meantime, starting this morning, Saturday, I thought, since a girl is generally married only once in her lifetime, or ought to be, I'd have a little blow out here at my place." so about all the wedding party is here except mr fredericks who comes to-night and the bridesmaids who are stopping over at the bladesdales and this evening i've got up a dance and sent out invitations to all the near neighbors we've got all the presents in an upstairs room on exhibition you know and it's those you're to keep your eye on the old man rambled on as if pleased to forget past cares in this harmless bit of vanity and i amused myself by watching its effect on kemp for it began to be evident that my associate thought this assignment quite beneath his powers, and a distinct reflection upon his ability. "'And now,' whispered Mr. Deneen, with his weather eye upon the coachman, "'what about the names? I haven't mentioned any yet, you see.' "'The names?' repeated Kemp. "'Yes. What do you choose to be called by?' "'Oh,' I hurriedly put in, "'our own names will do.' "'But what about your being brother and sister?' Kemp was on the point of answering, but I again cut in. "'Our mother married twice,' I said. "'That will make the relationship close enough, I fancy.' The next moment we were at the house, and after being shown to our rooms, which were on either side of that at the head of the stairs devoted to the wedding gifts, were soon brought down and presented to the other members of the house-party. Of these, a word or two of explanation is necessary. First there was Ernest Stenger, a classmate of young Deneen at Yale, tall, dark, handsome, and athletic, and his cousin Billy Remington, a fat and successful young broker from New York. Then there had come over from the Bladesdale place pretty blonde Daisy Walsh and her twin sister Betty, very like her, but not confusingly so. The two sons of the house were even more dissimilar. Indeed, meeting them casually, you would scarcely have supposed them to be so closely related. James Deneen, Jr., was a stocky young man with a firm, clean-shaven face, a mouth that shut like a steel trap, and eyes which, though they were the color of his father's, were altogether individual in the steady, cold, calculating stare they turned upon everybody, the eyes of a very determined and rather unscrupulous young man of twenty-eight. 
Fully ten years younger than his brother, and twice his age in dissipation, Bromley Deneen was, on the contrary, the picture of pampered weakness. He was also unlike his father, but he was the perverted image of his mother. The good lady, as you will presently see, was as a rule anything but weak, yet Bromley at eighteen was so hopelessly spoiled and vicious that no one could help but observe it. His pasty young face was already marked with evil, his mouth was loose, and his beady eyes were almost malignant. A tall, splendidly developed, and excellently preserved woman, much her husband's junior, and looking only half her age, Mrs. Deneen was still so beautiful that you saw at once that she was really at the prime of her life. Her face was round and dark, her eyes larger than those of her younger son, but full of fire and life, and she moved with a grace and spoke with a vivacity that made even Evelyn Bladesdale's youth seem not so far from her own maturity. Yet Evelyn was young indeed, scarcely Bromley's age, I should say, and at first glance the sort of type which our men are too quickly proud to call the American. You know what I mean, high-coloured and a bit tanned, clear-eyed and a bit horsey, with a swinging gait and a boyish beauty, no grace and a general air of out-of-doors. Of course it isn't really the American type at all. Since America was here a year or two, before Mr. Charles Dana Gibson, but it is the type which I have never been able to bring myself to care much about. However, I had to admit that this example, with its waving brown hair and blue eyes, was at least striking, though what impressed me most about her was the fact that she embodied the strangest contrast in all the party. Evelyn Bladesdale was to all appearances the strongest woman, muscularly, I had seen for some time, a thorough, athletic girl, who had the countryside record for golf, owned no end of tennis trophies, swam with a good stroke, pulled a man's oar, and even knew how to use a mitt. She could have broken Brother Bromley across one knee. Her strength was quite the most salient point about her. There was almost too much strength, in fact, for the full share of womanliness. And yet, against all this, I immediately set down two facts. First, she was so evidently ill at ease in the Deneen household that I wished her mother, an invalid I understood, was there to complete my impression that this match was not of the girl's own making. And second, the girl's expression was, in unguarded moments, that most familiar to the detective's eye, the expression of a hunted animal, the expression almost of old Deneen. To mistake it was impossible, and I could not help feeling that the animal, wrought close to the point of desperation, was about ready to fight at last. There and then I made up my mind that the fight, when it came, would be worth watching. But the fight was not yet, and a great many other things were. The remainder of the day, to be sure, went by well enough, and so did the dinner that ended it. Mrs. Deneen, at any rate, appeared delighted with her prospective daughter-in-law, and James the younger, for all his severe face, was manifestly devoted. But then, as the meal came to an end, the master of the house got to his feet and made a little speech. In a very few days, he said, they were to celebrate what would be, to him, the happiest event of his life next to his own wedding, titters from the Walsh twins, and what, if outward and visible signs meant anything, would be an equally happy occurrence in the existence of his elder boy and Miss Bladesdale. A blush from James, Jr., and a very faint smile from Evelyn. He could have wished, the speaker pursued, that his happiness might have been increased by adding a daughter to his home instead of losing a son, but youth will be youth, and as Jimmy had decided to set up for himself in New York, his mother had, as a small token of her love, determined to deed over to that son the city house which she had held in her own right, ever since the speaker gave up his residence there, 
loud applause from everyone. This, pursued Mr. Deneen, don't leave me much to give. The boy naturally getting on his own twenty-first birthday a little fortune of his own, and the rest, of course, not to come till I am laid away. But there's one thing which I've made up my mind, is to go to my eldest son's wife, he concluded, with just the air to be expected of a man who would make his son's wedding into a jewel show. And I want to give you, my friends, a little look at it. Then it will go upstairs with the other presents and stay there till Miss Evelyn wears it, going up the aisle of All Saints Church. At the word, Mr. Deneen, with a look of pride, held up a large black velvet-covered box, unhooked its lid, and poured its gleaming contents on the table, a glorious cascade of brilliant gems. Diamonds! I have never before or since seen anything like them in a private house. Large, perfect, alive they seemed, falling into a great heap before the speaker, and appearing to tremble in the candlelight, casting back all the rays of the rainbow from their clear, hard little hearts, the ransom of an emperor. Hard as it was to take my eyes away from them, something impelled me to turn about and watch the faces of the admiring company. Mrs. Deneen was smiling in pleasure, as if sharing her husband's moment of curious pride. The Walsh girls were nearly breaking their necks and gurgling perfect feminine delight. Stenger was politely interested, and his cousin almost as excited as the bridesmaids. But Evelyn Bladesdell, the girl upon whom all these glorious trinkets had just been conferred, was leaning back in her chair with a strange pallor on her usually ruddy face, while at her side the stern eyes of her betrothed shone covetous and triumphant. At that moment my gaze caught Kemp. He was looking hard at young Bromley Deneen, whose usually pasty face had gone red with anger and hate as he frowned nastily, first at his unnoticing brother, and then into that great heap of diamonds. End of chapter 3